Today on Ag News Daily. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Wednesday, October, Thursday, October 13th. Delaney Hall joined today by Tanner Winterhoff, sponsored by Your Soy Checkoff. Tanner, I'm completely off on my days today. I noticed that. Now, hopefully the rest of your uh, little segment here isn't off either. we got to get you wrangled back in. I guess. I don't know. I had a coffee this morning, Tanner. I had a coffee meeting and I don't drink coffee. So now I'm going to be jittery and, un- and wired the rest of the day, probably. So this is not one of those episodes they should listen to at one and a half times speed because you're already going to be talking in an That's true. escalated fashion. Mm-hmm. Are you going to, you're going to love what I had. Are you ready for this? I a had a pumpkin spice <laughs> latte. Oh my gosh. You got it right. First guess. You know me so well. That's right. And I think all of our listeners could have guessed that one. You are uh, queen predictable. Oh, I think. I don't know if that's chicken a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I do like chicken strips. Lattes. You're right. Yeah. I'll take predictable. <laughs> I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Oh, boy. Well, you know what isn't predictable, at least according to the FM, FOMC minutes. The Fed's minutes were released yesterday. And as Delaney pointed out this morning, it seems like there'd be a big stink. And once you search for it, there's headlines all over the place saying the Federal Reserve officials expressed concern in their last meeting over the persistence of high inflation, using the term surprised even, underscoring their uh, unpredictability of the direction going forward. So a lot of policymakers and a lot of economists, Delaney, are now saying the expectations for rate increases are even higher than expected now due to the signaled caution over the reason inflation hasn't stalled out yet. So the Fed continues to lift its benchmark for their Fed fund rate target maybe five times in the future to where they can try and crush this rapid pace of inflation increase. Now, Delaney, one of the top Fed, or one of the top economists, David Rosenberg, says he's expecting U.S. inflation to plummet below 3% next year and warns the Fed that if they stick to the comments in their minutes that they will severely pushed the U.S. economy into submission, despite the evidence that they've got for inflation threats coming, he says and has said in a pair of in appearances yesterday that their rapid hiking is going to shrink their balance sheet even more and are potentially going to cause an issue for those invested in the stock market. So he's throwing caution out there in his article of an economic storm in 2023 and states that even if you think stocks are at their bottom, his caution is that they will not go up drastically for quite a while. A couple of things that he noted, Delaney, before I wrap up this article is the delays in vendor deliveries have now returned to pre-COVID levels. Commodity prices have slumped into a bear market trend. Freight rates have declined and U.S. labor appears to be softening. Now, quite an interesting couple of items for him to take sight on, but more for us to keep watching, Delaney. Yeah, and I just caught the latter half of Tommy Grizzoffi's uh, ag, he call, I think he calls it the ag squawk call this morning, and he was touching on this very subject, Tanner, which is why we kind of were talking about it pre-recording today. But he said in his call this morning that the Fed is caught 
and that they've waited too long to raise interest rates and they're now way behind the curveball. And this is the largest tax increase on the poor, specifically or poor classes in history. And uh, things could see a big backslide from here. Yeah, the bond market just shot up overnight. So if you're looking at home mortgage rates, they've gone up another three-eighths of a percent. We're now over 7% for a 30-year fixed. When we were looking at less than 24 months ago, being able to get a 30-year fixed under two. So that is a four times almost increase in rates. And that's where the comment about tax Mm -hmm. on the middle class comes from, because a lot of those borrowers are in those income classes as it comes to home and vehicle borrowings. Well, the other thing that's interesting that I'll just say as a final point here, Tanner, that Tommy made this morning that I thought really resonated with me was just, you know, we don't know what commodity prices are going to do, obviously, but next year to borrow capital to keep the farm floating or cash flowing, you know, interest is going to be an extremely high costs that you have to factor into your break-even or your cost of production. So that alone really could impact the way that some growers operate next year. Yeah, I'm excited. David Widmar, who we've had on this podcast before and on Farm for Profit, issued the first episode episode of a new series Mm. from AEI Presents, and they're going to tackle, uh, I think it's borrowing the good, bad, and the ugly, or, or to to borrow. Anyway, it's about debt and agriculture and how things are put together. They just released the first of the eight show series yesterday. So I, I of course, is a little bit of a nerd. I'm excited to watch and see what that has to deliver because you're right. Capital is going to be very, very expensive for those that have to borrow for crop operating or even their business operating expenses. Mm-hmm going forward. And that honestly triggers inflation because the only way to recoup those costs is to increase the cost of your good. Not very many operations have the margin in there just to assume that extra interest expense. But let's get out of a little bit of the economic talk and talk weather. Two weather systems are now working together to potentially push a large area of soaking rain and the rising risk of flash flooding into portions of the south central United States. They are looking for rainfall, but they don't need it, Delaney in this quick and large amount of fashion. So months of drought are leading to very hard surfaces. And now with these thunderstorms brewing, they could potentially see some flooding, some flash flooding issues. Parts of Texas and New Mexico could receive up to six inches of rain in the next couple of days. You're looking at Southern California pushing over again into the Texas area. So quite an interesting thing there. But some of this rain may trigger an increase in water levels on the Mississippi River. But what experts are saying right now is an issue is since the Mississippi River is at its lowest level in a decade, they're now seeing salt water push back up into it from the Gulf of Mexico. So it is now rushing upstream to fill this gap. The Lower Mississippi River Forecast Center has stated the water is now below some of the metering areas, and for nearly a 400-mile stretch of the river to where the Ohio meets the Mississippi is potentially going to be at risk of saltwater pushing further up. I didn't even think about that, Delaney, but obviously that has a lot of an impact on the freshwater species that live in and reside in the river, let alone we already talked about the issues of transportation. Yeah, that's a good point, Tanner. And I'll follow along here with some additional weather-related pieces. Tanner, did you feel a big swing in temperature this morning when you walked outside? I've got my vest on. It's best weather. 
It's the best weather. Well, uh, we definitely saw a large swing across most of the U.S. today. The Midwest especially saw some pretty large temperature swings here. In the last 24 hours, we saw temperature swings of anywhere from losing about five degrees to in some parts of the Midwest. We saw a temperature swing by uh, 22 plus degrees, Tanner. So it's certainly that time of year when you never know if you're going to need to wear a sweater and a vest for the day or if you're going to wear a t-shirt and shorts for the day. My co-host on Farm for Profit made a joke along with John Deere last week about harvesting the settings in your combine. So you'd start off the day with yes. the heater on full blast and you get to an afternoon, you got the AC on full blast and lose your sweatshirts. It's it's typical fall, especially here in Iowa. Let's pause real quick here for a message from our sponsor today. Who's the number one protein source in chicken feed? You are. That's right. You're winning. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are really big in animal ag. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff is working with poultry and livestock producers, growing existing relationships and forging new ones to bring tangible returns back to you. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Rolling right into some news coming out of Russia about three stories that come back to back. The Kremlin reported Wednesday that it's releasing details about the explosion on the Crimean Bridge. They apparently attempted to state that this is uh, a reason to justify their brutal retaliation against civilians. They're stating here their Federal Security Service or FSB claimed that Ukraine's military intelligence orchestrated that attack and was trying to disable the bridge. They have arrested three Ukrainians and several other Russian and Armenian citizens that were involved. They said the perpetrators disguised explosives as construction material, shipped them commercially through several ports, and then loaded them on a truck and just detonated them on the bridge. Russia also warned that an escalation of NATO's involvement could potentially cause uh, a lead to what they're calling World War III. NATO allies are meeting in Brussels and unveiling plans to potentially beef up Europe's air defenses after committing more military aids to Kiev. That prompted Russia to unleash missiles missiles on more than 40 different Ukrainian cities. But the UN is continuing to condemn Russia's annexation of the Ukraine territories. The United Nations on Wednesday overwhelmingly condemned that as an attempt of illegal annexation. And that's one of the main reasons that you see allies coming together, except for Turkey, Delaney. Turkey wants to help Russia export their grain and fertilizers. Turkish President uh, Tayyip said Thursday morning that they would work with Moscow to identify low-income countries that Russian grains and fertilizer could be exported to, which I see Delaney as being a little bit of an interesting conflict because right now outside of Istanbul are hundreds of Ukrainian ships Mm -hmm. waiting to get inspected. So clearly the Turkish government's looking to profit out of this process. But right now with a little bit of a black eye because they can't handle the capacity coming out of Ukraine, let alone what would they do to help Russian exports? And it does sound like Tanner, I was reading a Reuters story this morning. Russia is allegedly or has allegedly agreed to the safe passage of grain exports. So there for a few days, we thought, is this deal going to crumble? But Russia is apparently saying that they are 
going to allow it. Um, wait times have, however, risen over the past 10 days for inspections here in Istanbul alone, like you were saying there. And um, we've seen nearly 100 grain laden ships reaching towards getting exported uh, that haven't had the ability to do that just simply due to the backlog of ships. So time will tell, Tanner, whether or not we see them actually being able to get out of the ports. But by all accounts from Russia's front, that is what they're saying is going to happen. Absolutely. Let's pause one more time for a message from our sponsor today. Who turned a $2 million research investment into $460 million per year in extra income? You did, you captain of industry. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are boosting sales. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff which funded a study that led to the dredging of the lower Mississippi River. Soon, you'll ship larger export loads for hundreds of millions in extra income a year. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Well, Delaney, the first text alert I got this morning and woke up to is that grains had reversed their track a little bit overnight after the WASD report. I don't have a lot extra news here. Is it time to get into the markets? I think it is. I just had one other quick thing I was going to mention here. As we look at this demand train really could head to a halt here. China's put out word that they are going to start importing corn early from Brazil as early as December, Tanner. Typically, the Brazilian harvest doesn't come online for China exports until about February timeframe. So China said they're really trying to reduce their dependency on the US and are planning to limit or try to limit as much as possible US grain exports. So at some point here, we're gonna see this train stop and that certainly will not bode well for the grain markets. But in the meantime, we've seen some minor strength today in new crop corn up just about a half a cent on the morning at 6.93 and a half. New crop soybeans up three pennies on the morning at 13.98. And December, Chicago wheat up 22 cents on the morning at 9.04. In the livestock markets here at the midday, we've got October, excuse me, December live cattle up 12 and a half on the morning at 148.57. November feeders up just a nickel today at 176.72. And December lean hogs down 37 and a half at the midday here at 80.32 and a half. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to today's conversation with Paul Grieve. Listeners, we're really excited to introduce you all to Paul Grieve, founder of Pasture Bird. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Well, Paul, to start off our chat, can you just tell us a little bit about what Pasture Bird is and what makes it different from other poultry farms? Yeah, so PastureBird's a pasture-raised poultry company. We're taking a unique approach, kind of a very old-school approach to um, moving chickens around pasture. So instead of a stationary coop or a barn, um, our birds live in mobile, floorless chicken coops, which means it's essentially like a big greenhouse where the birds are living 24-7 on the pasture. Uh, That allows them to forage and peck and scratch for Uh, mixed diet, but it also allows us to distribute the manure over a crop field. Very cool. So how did this idea come about? How did y'all get started and how long have y'all been in business? Well, it actually started back in, um, I I was in Marine Corps sniper school and I was hit with Lyme disease and I basically started paying more attention to my diet after feeling 
kind of like crap after contracting Lyme. Um, came back from Iraq in 2009, and we got some chickens for the backyard in 2012. And we just really enjoyed the work of Joel Salatin, who's a farmer in Virginia that had brought this model over from um, Western Europe. And he was doing it in small 100 bird coops, um, building them out of wood and pulling them around by hand. And we did that for several years and essentially just kind of saw a larger market opportunity for pasture raised poultry. Um, and we started developing our own more large scale autonomous technology for it. And how did that market opportunity work? Did y'all have some struggles getting into the markets and getting uh, consumer consumers to understand what you're doing and to prefer your product or how has that gone? Oh, absolutely. Um, explaining the difference of any kind of meat product is tough, right? So if you take it from no antibiotics to free range to organic to now pasture raised as the next kind of elevation, there's a lot of confusion in the market. And so trying to cut through the noise has been a real challenge. Um, we've really relied on social media, especially real authentic photos and videos from the farm and from inside of our chicken coops. Um, that's been a big part of our marketing is just that radical transparency. Um, we really started in food service, though. Um, we feel really fortunate that the product eats really, really well. Um, you know, nine out of 10 chefs in a blind taste test would prefer pasture raised poultry, which is a big difference compared to grass-fed beef. Um, and so we were able to really cut our teeth in a lot of the Michelin star kind of white tablecloth restaurants around Northern and Southern California. And now just recently within the last few weeks, we were able to launch um, into full-blown retail. So we're really excited about that. That's awesome. So to cut through that noise that you were talking about in the marketing space, what is the difference in pasture-raised versus cage-free versus all these different labels, and what is the label that Pasture Bird has? Yeah, so nothing but respect to anybody who grows food in any kind of way. It's the hardest job out there. Um, but when I explain kind of what free range and cage free and organic are, it's all based on a stationary model. So the, the coops are always going to be stationary with varying degrees of outdoor access. The chickens, you know, they, they may use some of that outdoor space. They may, they may use none of it. Where pasture raise is really different is that the birds are actually living on the pasture in this portable shade structure that moves every 24 hours to a new spot. So we think that the birds have this ultimate enrichment. They have this really good environment to live in. You know, it smells good inside of there. It's clean. It's fresh. They're finding bugs and worms like they're supposed to. We say, you know, our chickens are proudly not vegetarians. Like we want them eating as many bugs and worms as they can find. Um, as far as labels and certifications go, there were, there were not any out there to encapsulate what we're doing. So we've been building our own brand um, and putting our own brand on shelf now for about 10 years. And I would say it's still a tiny subset of the market. Most people would not be able to tell you what the difference of free range and pasture raise is. And we've got a long road ahead of us to try to educate people about that. And aside from the education and the marketing side, what are some of the challenges on the farm side? I assume this is a more labor intensive or maybe just some different issues y'all experienced? Well, it always was. So we ran in 600 bird coops for about five years after upgrading from the 100 bird coops. Those were all tractor pulled. So every single day, right, 365 days a year, we have to back up to every single little greenhouse and pull 500 birds at a time forward. 
We had to go in with buckets and feed every single bird by hand. It was extremely labor intensive, thus really you know, uncompetitive as far as price goes. Um, we developed what is the first in the world. It's called the automated range coop. So this is a 6,000 bird house um, that's fully 100% solar powered. And it actually autonomously it drives itself to fresh pasture every single day. So we've reduced the labor a lot. I would say it's still not as low as a stationary conventional house with 24,000 birds inside of it. Um, but we think that there's a value there that's starting to make sense for the consumer and we can hit a price point that uh, I think is really attractive. The other big thing that we did back in 2019 is we partnered with Purdue Farms, which is um, the largest organic chicken supplier uh, in the United States. They were also the first to really go organic, the first to really go no antibiotics ever. Um, and so they feel like a great partner to help us reach that vertical integration and they hit a price point that makes sense as well. Very cool and very innovative. I love to hear about the new practices that people are developing in animal ag. And of course, when we talk poultry at this time of year, we can't not touch on avian influenza. I know in our pre-conversation, you did say that you're not an expert, but you are a poultry farmer. So what are the, the risks, the ways that y'all are mitigating this risk and the uh, fears that you have around this disease? Yeah, we take it really seriously. It's obviously um, moved all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast at this point, and it looks like it's probably moving back. Um, it's another blessing for us being part of Purdue. They have some of the smartest people in the world that are paying attention to this stuff, you know, 24 hours a day with their monitoring. They also have a deep understanding of biosecurity and understanding of how to prevent this disease from hitting our flock. So we're really taking their lead on this one. Very good. And Paul, I know on your website, there's so many opportunities to order your meat, to tour your farm, all of these different things. So what are some ways that our listeners can get in contact or get in touch with Pasture Bird and learn more about it? Yeah, we really are working on our website a lot. So I'd, I'd highly recommend checking out pasturebird.com. It talks a lot about who we are, what we do. One of the really innovative things that we've started doing is actually live stream from inside of the coop. So we don't think any other poultry companies ha have ever tried to do this, but um, we go live on YouTube, on Vimeo, on LinkedIn. Um, and so you can actually check in and you can see the birds for yourself, you know, no, nothing to hide here. And I think that that's been really well received and it's actually been a, a pretty innovative thing. I, I, I personally post a lot on LinkedIn and I kind of share updates and thoughts about what's going on in the poultry and the meat space in general. Um, and then obviously we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. This is a great conversation. Thanks for having me, Cassidy. Thanks, Cassidy, for helping us out with that interview and introducing us to Paul and his company. That was another fun episode. Now, listeners, stay tuned. There's lots of trains in the news. As Delaney had talked about, we'll probably report on more tomorrow as well as a farmer field update. So look forward to that. Follow us on social media, tag us with your harvest pictures. But for today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.